After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday. Erev Yom Kippur. Egemar Chasimatova. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program.
Hasidim Berino Hasidim Berino Hasidim Berino
p.m. in the a.m. The Chuva selection done by Yaakov Shweki on a Friday. Erev Yom Kippur here at J.M. in the a.m. Before that, uh, other great selections for this very holy day, or the day before the holiest day, I should say. Uh, Avram Freed with Tihar from the uh, Musaf service tomorrow, off of the CD Chazak. You heard Chamol, Sayu. Sim Chaliartzecha, all from the great Ben Sion Schenker. Mordechai Ben David, Vahaviosim from MBD and Friends. An unbelievable classic. And Regesh Modani opening things up as we say good morning. It's Friday, September the 13th, the ninth day in the month of Tishrei, the year 5774, Tavshanai and Gimel. Today is Erev Yom Kippur. Candle lighting at 648 in this area. 648 candle lighting on this Erev Yom Kippur. And um, wishing everybody a happy, healthy, sweet new year. Egmar Chasimatova. May we all be inscribed in the book of life, the book of health, the book of happiness, the book of sustenance, and have an amazing 5774. Morning showers with a high of 75. Tonight, clear skies, low 54. Mostly sunny for tomorrow. High Yom Kippur Day, 71 degrees. Yushalayim, pretty hot, 90.1. Tel Aviv at 86, Haifa at 84, a lot at 93 degrees. We're at 67 here in Jersey City. As we say good morning, and wish everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet new year here at JM and the AM. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're back. Thursday and Friday will be off for the first days of Sukkot. Matis will have a JM Sunday coming up uh, this coming Sunday. Starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream, jmnam.org. And, of course, a post-Yom Kippur Saturday Night Seagull. Avrami takes care of that on our stream starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmnam.org. We'll go this morning until 9 o'clock. Malcolm Holmline is scheduled to join us about an hour from now. Uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course, with uh, words about Yom Kippur coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, plus, Naomi Nachman with a fresh edition of Table for Two, coming up at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on our stream. And uh, Jay Booksbaum, who's the expert on uh, Sukkot kosher wines, is going to be joining her, uh, one of her guests this morning, coming up between 9 and 10 on this Erev Yom Kippur on our stream at jmtheam.org. Dudu Fisher is next. Thanks for tuning in to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 FM, around the world on the web, jmandtheam.org.
One of the beautiful piyutim that we say tonight on Lel Yom Kippur, Umnam Kane, that's done by Srili Williger. Before that, from the brand new CD entitled MS Vyatsiv, the title track from Roth and Green. Cantor Zavok Farton had Kol Nidre, Dvekis with Barosh Hashanah, New York School of Jewish Song with Zachreinu Lachayim, and Dudu Fisher with that Broadway, Broadway rendition of Yale here at JM in the AM. with candle lighting at 6.48 on this Erev Yom Kippur. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Galitzal in the background. Galitzal Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for an Erev Yom Kippur. Follows next at jmtheam. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, גמר חתימה טובה, כאן כרמית ראובן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. ערב יום הכיפורים, תשע"ד. התחבורה הציבורית לקראת הפסקת פעילות מוחלטת עד מחר בערב. אלדר גילרן מדווח. האוטובוסים והרכבות ברחבי הארץ מפסיקים בשעה זו את פעילותם. קווי האוטובוס ישובו לפעול בהדרגה מחר עם צאת יום הכיפורים, מהשעה שמונה בערב. שירות הרכבות יתחדש גם הוא מחר סמוך לחצות הלילה. בשעה זו נסגר גם המרחב האווירי של ישראל לטיסות, והוא ישוב וייפתח להמראות ולנחיתות מחר מהשעה עשר וחצי בלילה. עומס חום כבד צפוי במהלך צום יום הכיפורים. עומר ולדמן עם המספרים. בירושלים חזויות 33 מעלות חום, בתל אביב 31 מעלות, בחיפה 29 ובבאר שבע 34 מעלות חום. בשירות המטאורולוגי מוסיפים כי סביב הכנרת ובאילת יגיעו הטמפרטורות במהלך יום הכיפורים ליותר מ-40 מעלות חום. ממגן דוד אדום נמסר כי על הצמים לשתות שני ליטרים של מים עד למועד תחילת הצום. שעון הקיץ, הצום מתחיל מאוחר וייגמר מאוחר, מירי אפרמוב מספרת. בירושלים יחל הצום ב-6 ו-12 דקות, בתל אביב ב-6 ו-27, בחיפה ב-6 ו-19, ובבאר שבע יחל יום הכיפורים ב-6 ו-29 דקות. הצום יסתיים בירושלים מחר ב-7 ו-23 דקות, ובתל אביב, חיפה ובאר שבע יצא הצום ב-7 ו-25 דקות. מסוקי חיל האוויר המצרי שוב תקפו מטרות בסיני סמוך לגבול עם ישראל ועם רצועת עזה. במצרים מדווחים על אמצעי מודיעין משודרגים שבהם עושים הטרוריסטים בסיני שימוש. כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. שלושה מצנחי רכיפה נתפסו בידי פעילים של אחד הפלגים הקיצוניים בסיני. המצנחים מתוצרת אמריקנית התגלו בדירת מסתור בעיר שייח' זוויד ליד רפיח. גורמי הביטחון המצריים מעריכים שהם שימשו את הפלגים באיסוף מידע מהאוויר על בסיסי הצבא כדי לקבוע לאן בדיוק לירות טילי RPG. עד כאן. 
ברוסיה 37 חוסים בבית חולים פסיכיאטרי נספו בשריפה. כתבתנו חן פישר. כוחות ההצלה של רוסיה מסרו כי עד כה רק עשר גופות חולצו מתוך המוסד השרוף. נסיבות הדלקת טרם התבררו. רק בחודש אפריל האחרון פרצה ברוסיה שריפה דומה בבית חולים פסיכיאטרי סמוך למוסקבה. גם שם נהרגו 38 בני אדם. 40 שנה לפרוץ מלחמת יום הכיפורים והתמודדות משפחתו של הרמטכ"ל דדו עם מסקנות דוח ועדת אגרנט. הילה כהן, בתו של רמטכ"ל המלחמה דוד אלעזר, התארחה היום בגלי צה"ל בתוכנית מיוחדת לערב יום הכיפורים. טלי ליפקין שחק, שוחחה איתה. כל הזמן ממשיכים להתקשר אלינו אנשים, גם הרבה אנשי אקדמיה, ולהציע לבטל את מסקנות הוועדה. אנחנו בתוך המשפחה אפילו חלוקים בזה, אם זה נכון או לא, ואם זה בכלל משמעותי לאבא, אבא הכל בסדר. אני מרגישה שאבא הכל בסדר, עשו איתך צדק. ההיסטוריה עושה איתך צדק, והעם עושה איתך צדק, וזה בעיניי החשוב. אלה החדשות שעורך עומר בן רובי.
Thanks to Norman Laster. Another great presentation of the Neshama program. I take this opportunity to wish Norman a happy, healthy, and sweet 5774, a year of good health and happiness. And I thank him because it was, uh, in fact, I mentioned on uh, the week before Rosh Hashanah, as we were celebrating our 30th anniversary here at JM and the AM, it is, of course, Norman Laster who brought me to WFMU. 
30 years ago. Chazen Benjamin Unger with Kol Nidre. Before that, Jan Pierce's version of Kol Nidre here at JM and the AM. This is a great Yom Kippur selection from Schwebel, Scharf, and Levine.
the AM with Shlomo Simcha, Shlomo Simcha, with for Gadol here on a uh, JM the AM Ervium Kipper 5774. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook, Jewish Radio World with Nachum Siegel. That is our very effective, uh, Jew, um, our very effective Facebook update page, Jewish Radio World with Nachum Siegel. Check it out. Uh, we're posting the uh, same announcements on uh, our Twitter feed at Nachum Siegel Net. For instance, we just told the world that, uh, Malcolm Holmline is going to be joining us 7.40 this morning Eastern Time, just about 10 minutes from now. Talk about the events of the last couple of weeks. Won't be a weekly update next week or the week after because of the uh, Friday umptive schedule, so you'll want to make sure to pay careful attention today as we go through some of the uh, different things that are going on in um, in this unbelievable world of ours. Before the uh, selection by Shlomo Simcha, you heard Shwebel Sharf and Levine with Yale from tonight's liturgy as we get ready for Leil Yom HaKippurim this evening. Today is Erev Yom Kippur on this 9th of Tishrei with candle lighting at 6.48. Yisker, of course, is said tomorrow. Our radio schedule, Naomi Nachman, is going to be uh, featuring special guest Jay Booksbaum of Royal Wine coming up between 9 and 10 this morning on our stream at jmandtheam.org as they discuss Sukkot wines and specifically a whole bunch of different wines from the State of Israel. That is happening between uh, 9 and 10 this morning right after JM and the AM. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night after Yom Kippur beginning at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on the stream, jmandtheam.org. Matis hosts JM Sunday this coming Sunday morning starting at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Check it all out by tuning in and being part of the action all weekend long. Monday we're back here and we are going to be featuring Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday a whole bunch of Cholomoid information as we get set for the holiday of Sukkot. JM and the AM, it is now Erev Yom Kippur, this is the great Chazen Yesela, oh no, this is, yeah, this is the great Chazen Yesela Rosenblatt.
service at the Yeshivat Karim Biyavne. That is um, an amazing medley of some of the some of the uh, passages that we will be saying this evening on Leil Yom Kippurim, one of the most uh, inspiring nights of the year, if not the most inspiring night of the year. Mordechai ben David before that with V'chom Aminim. You heard, uh, with Melech rather, from the V'chom Aminim CD. The great Yesela Rosenblatt, you heard his Yale and um, and Shlomo Simcha had Uba Shofar Gadol. J.M. and the A.M. on this Erev Yom Kippur. 6.48 is candle lighting time in our area. 6.48 candle lighting time. I'm so glad that uh, Malcolm Holmline just a moment ago when we connected via telephone uh, opened um, his discussion with me about the uh, number of uh, people in Israel who will be fasting tonight and tomorrow. Because uh, he reminded me of uh, some of the things I wanted to mention to him and this audience regarding... A very, very similar topic, and we will in just a moment. Uh, I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to recommend to their hundreds of thousands of readers our jmnam.org live stream, including this great radio broadcast, of course. We wish everybody at JewishWorldReview.com a happy, healthy, and sweet new year, and we should continue to grow together. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update. Gamar Chasimatova, Mr. Honline. Gamar Chasimatova to you, to everyone. Let's hope it will be a peaceful, healthy, and happy year for everyone. Oh, you could say that again, that's for sure. I want to remind everybody that on the uh, 15th of October, 
the 50th anniversary tribute gala brought to you by the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations takes place in New York City. Everybody is invited to come and attend to support the fund and to be at the Waldorf Astoria on Park Avenue in New York City that very night, Tuesday, October the 15th. I've been begging Malcolm for an invitation. He says one might be forthcoming. Maybe if more and more JMN listeners come forward with reservations, he won't hesitate to have me there that night. So please, folks, I'm begging you, reserve and make sure you're there at the Waldorf Astoria. The event will, of course, honor the guests of honor who are all the past uh, uh, conference chairs, including especially, I should say, with emphasis on the last 20 years since the last tribute gala was 20 years ago, and of course, Malcolm will be recognized for his more than 25 years at the helm of the conference and for 40 years of leadership in the American Jewish community and world jury. Information about the whole thing, you can contact the um, the uh, Conference of Presidents. You could do so by um, you could do so by uh, by email, gala2013 at conferenceofpresidents.org. Again, gala2013 at conferenceofpresidents.org. Dot org. Hope it's going well, Malcolm, because we're getting closer and closer, you know. It's getting very close, and given the numbers of days of in between, we're almost there. And uh, Gala is G-A-L-A 2013, and uh, we hope that uh, we'll be able to announce before the dinner that we're sold out. But right now, there's still a chance for people to get in, uh, and even a seat for you, Malcolm. Mm. <laughs> We're working on commission, you know, for the number of people. <laughs> yeah. from well, that would be the case. I'd be able to bring everybody. Anyway. <laughs> have everybody identify. And... I, uh, I also want to mention that Malcolm is arranging. Uh, we'll have uh, some of the uh, chairs of the conference uh, with us. We don't know if we'll do it on a Friday. Another day we'll figure it out, but we'll certainly get a perspective on recent American and world Jewish history uh, through the, um, uh, through the uh, words of uh, some of the past conference chairs. Uh, you mentioned to me uh, a large percentage of people in Israel who are fasting on Yom Kippur. I wanted to mention to you that, um, we, we, as you know, we have our news from Israel, uh, straight from Israel every morning, and to hear that newscast begin with the words, Gemara Chatimah Tova, to hear the, the uh, woman radio announcer, the news reader, emphasize the story of what the temperature will be on Yom Kippur because so many people are fasting. To go through, for her to go through toward the end of the newscast, the ending times of the fast. By the way, Haifa is 724. The ending times of the fast for tomorrow. Malcolm, if you would have said any of this to anybody in previous generations, certainly three, four generations back, they would have thought you were nuts. Now we have a state of Israel with a broadcast authority that's emphasizing on Erev Yom Kippurim those types of things. Sometimes you have to just sit back and, and take it all in, if you know what I mean. I agree. It's the kind of things we take for granted, that uh, while we can criticize that the state isn't religious enough and others criticize it, sometimes we're being too religious, or, but, but basically uh, the criticism that comes from often from our communities, um, and, and we overlook, the, the reality, and this year it takes on greater uh, interest in the sense that uh, this is the 40th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, and uh, the the uh, we all recall those who are old enough what what that Yom Kippur uh, turned into and the price that was paid, etc. And the fact that three quarters of Israelis fast and even more attend synagogue, and that 
um, there is this desire to identify in a religious way and th- that the whole state comes to an absolute standstill, but absolute. And it's, uh, it's very widespread that the, the people accept this and, and identify people I know who are not religious uh, in most r- in ritual uh, ways um, prepare for this and, and they prepare for how they're going to break the tanis at uh, the fast at the end and, and the investment of people in this that started already early in the week it is because it's a Jewish state and you live a Jewish calendar 100% and I'm glad you mentioned that about the uh, uh, coming to a standstill because that was another story in our newscast this morning uh, warning everybody the exact time that bus and rail service will end throughout the entire country how amazing is that? Uh, I may have more details on this next week, as will a lot of other people, because supposedly, uh, now that it's 40 years, certain information will be coming out. Are we going to learn a lot about the Yom Kippur War that up until this point we had not known? I don't think so. I, I, you know, always with Tom, you get clarity in papers and documents, and people write their memoirs, etc. But uh, I don't think there's that much more to come out. Yeah, apparently the 40-year mark is a significant one in terms of releasing documents, etc. Yeah. So, but you're not... All along, those documents have been made public, and people have been aware of a lot of it. All right. Uh, A lot going on, as you know, and we'd love to get some clarity in terms of what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I I don't mean to be cynical, but we're trying to analyze things here. Um, It does seem that the President of the United States wanted to take a strong position against Syria and certainly project a certain image. Uh, He may also have known, I don't know if he did or did not, he may also have known that it would be difficult to win the support of Congress, the numbers bear it out, and to win the support of the American people. I think the media probably bears that out. Uh, He goes to the uh, the United States, he goes to the uh, people, rather, uh, this week and... um, and, and states his case in terms of action against Syria or potential action and concludes that it will be some type of agreement or cooperation with the Russians that will determine whether in the long run the U.S. does take any action or not. Does it make sense that the president was trying to utilize the last couple of weeks to project a strong image while knowing deep down that he would not have support to carry it out? I would say that it's hard to say at this time. Maybe it'll take 40 years, <laughs> but I but I doubt it. I think we'll know a lot more a lot earlier. And uh, having been engaged with people in the administration in discussions of this, I don't believe that they uh, planned it long term. Uh, I think that the president saw that he wasn't going to win in the House or, and that the votes in the, both in Congress generally, the opposition that he w- was hearing, uh, was an incentive for them to look for for an option. Whether this was a Russian idea proposed by Russia without any pre-consultation or a joint idea or an American idea that was proposed to them, and it took time either for them to accept or for some details to be worked out, uh, or the Russians took advantage of a situation where they saw America hanging on the ropes and to, to be able to save Assad's uh, uh, position, that he stay in office, uh, that they uh, agreed to this. What What is clear is that, A, this is not over. The, the Syrians put new conditions that there be no arms to the rebels from the United States. And we know that two weeks ago the CIA started providing light weapons, the communications vehicle uh, equipment and vehicles. Um, 
that they want to see what the who, who who will be the beneficiary of this. Initially, it's of course uh, I think Assad. Uh, question is in the next stage is what what will we find and what happens to the other parties? What happens to Saudi Arabia? Uh, Kuwait and Qatar signed with the White House. Now they see the U.S. backing off again. Will they see this? The Saudis see this as America again not showing the resolve and not showing the ability to to implement um, the, quote, robust international response that the White House had called for. These are all uh, very open questions. And, of course, the implications for Iran, how Iran views this, what what does this mean for uh, that situation, which we talk about because there are changes there, too, including uh, expediting of facilities, etc., and new outreach by Rouhani, which I think is is a subterfuge, but the, the so the implications that we look at when we in this situation are much broader, and uh, you have to look at how do you really do this? How do you secure the sites? How do you destroy them? What happens to the weapons that went to his chemical weapons that went to Hezbollah right. or the Shiba, the Shabiha, which is the, uh, the some of the militia? Um, I mean, there are a lot of... Uh, oh, we know. And you see yeah. already that Syria put its air force back in action in the suburbs of Damascus after not having flown for, for a long time because I think that they see these new opportunities as presenting them with the chance to escalate the violence. Um, this audience is quite concerned about uh, about the following. I mean, this, this is the feeling I'm getting. Um, we, we, we see the numbers in Congress... Uh, the projections, if there would in fact uh, uh, be a vote, how things would go. Uh, we see the media and quote unquote the American people and what the reaction is to action against Syria. But our question is, what about American Jewish leadership? What does what does APAC say about an Obama decision to uh, White House decision to go ahead and uh, and uh, take military action against Syria? What does the Conference of Presidents say on the issue? How has Jewish leadership weighed in on this? Well, we have supported the uh, idea that there has to be a response to the use of chemical weapons. Uh, this is something that should have been done a long time ago. This is There were at least 12 instances over the past year when chemical weapons were used. But as one official said, well, only 10 people were killed or small numbers were killed each time. Yeah, but if you stopped it then, you wouldn't have come to the situation we faced. Right. That once you open the gate to the use of chemical weapons, uh, weapons of mass destruction... This gives a license to everybody who both has these kind of weapons, which are dastardly and were outlawed after their use in World War One. They, they are very brutal, horrific, as we saw in the pictures uh, that emerged from the uh, attack. I know there are people who still aren't sure, and the Russians are certainly pushing the line that this, these came from the rebels' uh, areas, that they checked the trajectories, etc. Uh, but the United States and others are very convinced that this this was, in fact, um, a Syrian government attack, and they certainly have uh, these large stockpiles, which they had denied till now, but now they agree they're going to destroy them, the things that they didn't really have. And the, the uh, so our response was not to support a specific piece of legislation or urge the people to go to war. What we say is that this is an international norm. And once you violate it, and especially after the president puts prestige in the position of the United States on the line with his statement about a red line and go, announced that he was going to Congress, it was essential that the message to everyone in the Middle East be very clear, and not just the Middle East, 
and that the the uh, violation of that kind of a principle would would be a red light, a green light to everybody in, in the region. And there has to be, and it wasn't a question of choosing a side about the outcome, because there's no good outcome. There's no good parties today in the Middle East that that are likely to take over in Syria. You have a competition of a lot of outside forces. You have thousands of foreigners there. You have such a complicated situation that we've tried to address uh, over the last year or two years, explaining what, why and why those details you see become relevant during the this last week. Is Assad's position stronger than when we last spoke a couple of weeks ago? I would say it's stronger than it was a week ago. I think he... he um, he sounded very confident when he went on those television reports, even though, you know, a lot of what he said I don't think could be ver- could be justified or verified. Uh, I think that it, it, it raises a lot of questions amongst others in the region. And the fact is that Russia, I think, emerges out of this stronger and in a better position. And an argument that uh, Putin put forward and that I uh, reported here a long time ago, which is that he says, you may not like my choice of friends, but you see, I'm loyal to them, yeah. and that the West is not. And and because of that loyalty, how can we trust him on this on this uh, potential agreement to let him go and, and and seek out and destroy chemical weaponry arsenals in Syria? You absolutely can't. And this is why what Ronald Reagan said: trust but verify. Right. This has to be. Uh, I, I don't even know if it's feasible. I don't know if it's possible to to actually do it to carry it out. You might be able to position people. It's hard to move these things. Some of them are in binary storage, meaning that the components are stored, but it doesn't become a chemical weapon until you put them together. Some of it is in shells. There isn't a long life on these things. You have to change the containers. You have to sustain it, maintain it. Uh, and uh, uh, moving it would also be very difficult, and it's probably in 50 different locations. We know that he moved it around uh, after when the threat came up, and he, we know that he moved stuff into the Alawite area because that was going to be his protection if, in fact, they had to resort to retreating to the Alawite enclave that they created. These chemical weapons would have been his uh, his front line of defense against uh, uh, you know an attack by uh, by government, what might be then government forces, still rebel forces, or whatever. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmnam.org. The Conference of Presidents 50th Anniversary Tribute Gala is October the 15th. We recommend circling your calendar for the Waldorf Astoria. Information, gala2013 at conferenceofpresidents.org. Gala 2013 at conferenceofpresidents.org. And I also wanted to take this opportunity to thank Yated Naaman. It's a, a newspaper that's well known in certain uh, uh, parts of our community, and they have been, again, for another year, have been transcribing the conversations I have with Malcolm Honline in their newspaper. And uh, a lot of people enjoy uh, reading it. A lot of people can't catch the, uh, the show in audio form, so they actually read it uh, over the weekend. And um, we thank them and wish them. A happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. Are we officially? Is the United States officially funding uh, the uh, the opposition in Syria? Because the accusations that we are uh, continue to come from that area, of course, from the Assad regime. But have we ever made an official declaration in terms of financial support? We have been giving humanitarian aid, and we have uh, said that it seems the military aid, according to reports, has only been in in recent weeks, and nobody knew. 
uh, who you send it to. Who do you give the weapons to? So you have the Free Syrian Army, which is supposedly pro-Western, but others say ineffective. You have a hundred groups fighting in in Syria. Um, all of them, the vast majority of them, not ones as as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs said that will be pro-American or groups we would want to see take over. You have the increasing influence of uh, of Al Qaeda and certainly of Al Nusra uh, and the Al Qaeda of the Levant in Iraq. You have. Uh, these guys who've come from Europe, from all over, to fight there. We have to think about what's going to happen to them uh, uh, afterward. So the United States has delayed and and tried to build international coalitions and has tried to mobilize international support. But the fact is that in all this time, I don't think we build our credibility and... uh, it it raises, uh, raises many questions about what could be done, but the fact is that the situation is so complicated that there is no easy, <laughs> no one party you can point to and say, oh, those are the good guys, those are the guys we want to be associated with. I saw an interview with one of the masked rebels, you know, they don't want to be identified, so, you know, they, they wear a mask during these TV interviews, and he basically says, I would love for the U.S. to attack Assad, my, our, our enemy to attack our enemy. We love when people who we hate go up against people who we hate, and I'm saying to myself <laughs> <laughs> that this is who we're funding or potentially funding. Well, yeah. there are a lot of people who say that's what they would like to see, that Assad and, and these guys fight it out and both win. Right, yeah. Uh, we've seen that in history. There have been plenty of those, right? Um, Israel, how have they reacted politically? Obviously, we'll talk about Iran and everything that Israel has to prepare for and continue to prepare for. But politically, I'm sure it's very difficult for the prime minister and other ministers to decide what to say publicly. What have they said over the last couple of weeks? Almost nothing. I have to say it's the most disciplined I remember seeing Israeli governments in a difficult situation. Uh, we had a conference call with uh, Bennett, and even he, uh, in this, and said that there, there is a policy, and he could only make certain uh, comments on it. Uh, but if you notice, the response has been very muted. The, the uh, prime minister uh, has made statements about the uh, the danger and try to keep the focus on the major threat, which is Iran. Right. Uh, and the fact that Rouhani now is taking this uh, charm offensive and will come to New York and may try to, you know, introduce their parallel process, uh, but knowing that, that he has said and others have said they're going to go ahead no matter what with the, their nuclear weapons program. So the, the, uh, for Israel, that's the major focus that they want to, uh, to sustain. They also are very worried about what's going on in Egypt and the Sinai, so Israel has a lot of fronts. Uh, to be concerned about, but I think that they have the luxury this time of being able to stand back because there is no party that really threatens Israel at this moment. What I said a couple weeks ago here and told people not to worry about going and there was this panic setting in, there's just no one who who would dare, I think, today, other than terrorist uh, attack or local violence that uh, will dare to challenge Israel because for Assad, he knows it'll be his last day in office for Iran they know it's the end of their nuclear program for Hezbollah. They know what the response will be. So there's there's no one really in a position to carry out a serious attack against Israel. Would, would, would you be saying things, would you be would you change your mind if the U.S. took military action against Syria? Because we've heard the threats from Iranian officials that if, in fact, the U.S. does take any action against Syria, the first victim of theirs will be Israel. Yeah, but I can, don't see who, who, what the response would be. Could you have some rockets from Hezbollah or other groups there? Yes. Could you have some escalation along the borders? Yes. Do I think that Israel 
is prepared and would respond very forcefully in a way that I think would be convincing to others not to do it. You know, the USS San Antonio docked in Haifa with 800 Marines and helicopters and other uh, equipment on board. Is it still there now? It's there, and actually they were given crew leave, which is the first time in a long time that an American ship has docked in, in Haifa. Um, that eight, those 800 don't include the crew, so it's a, it's a very large uh, contingent that uh, came up and said very positive things of their visit there. Um, and we've had the joint exercise with the United States and Israel. Uh, you heard the president's comment in the speech about Israel's overwhelming power to respond. Right. Uh, and that is an important message Israel wanted to get out, that, that don't think you're going to... And no doubt asked him to include it, right? And to, I would say that would be a safe guess. That, uh, <laughs> or you may have asked him to include it. <laughs> that they uh, um, take a strong stand, uh, that Israel will will have the right and will be prepared. Right. And they are. I think that they've taken all the necessary precautions. By the way, we should mention that, because, especially because we're not going to, unless, God forbid, there's an emergency, where obviously we'd connect and speak on the air, but otherwise we won't speak for a few weeks. Um, we should mention that the Prime Minister of Israel, as you told us last time, will be one of the scheduled speakers right after Yontif at the U.N. Uh, meeting in New York. On the 29th, most likely, he will right. be here. It will be after a lot of the heads of state have left, but it will be still a critical thing. And, and look, the, the U.N. will now be the uh, focus of, of attention with uh, uh, Rouhani will be coming, and I think he won't give the same kind of speech as Ahmadinejad, but we shouldn't be fooled. People have to keep the focus correct and make sure that through our contacts with elected officials immediately that we do not lose sight of the reality that Iran is moving ahead all the time. And now that Russia talks about selling him the S-300, five systems of this very advanced and hard-to-beat uh, air defense system, and to Syria as well. So those who think that, you know, Russia is playing this very peaceful role, they're making a lot of money out of these deals. They, they take a billion dollars out of Syria. They're taking much more out of Iran and building a new reactor at the Boucher for them, a second reactor. Uh, the the S-300 is a, is a very capable system, and it will affect uh, civilian uh, flights in, within Israel's border as well, if it's operational in Syria. Until now, it, it, it has not been. And, uh, and, and the Iranians at the same time say, quote, I will, we will not give up one iota of our absolute nuclear rights. So the, the, uh, they're playing the same duplicitous game. He'll come in a better suit than, than <laughs> Ahmadinejad wore, but fundamentals don't change. And was he the one who issued New Year's greetings to Israel, or was that another official in Iran? Well, there were two. One was uh, a comment he made, and one was uh, Zarif, the foreign minister, but uh, they later denied that... Uh, <laughs> they denied giving New Year's greetings. That they denied giving the New Year's greetings. Maybe they gave it, but they didn't mean for everybody. It was only for certain Jews and only Jews in Iran, not the Jews everywhere, which was what the quote was, but maybe they didn't know that it was really for Jews of Rosh Hashanah. It wasn't for everybody. Uh, when they said everywhere, they meant everywhere in Iran. <laughs> they, they, they have backed off of it. Uh, uh, although people jumped all over it initially, and right. uh, it's it, it is troubling that people don't learn the lessons, and and now they see, they see that Russia, I think, emerges as I said, much stronger, showing that it, it's a reliable ally. Puts more ships into the Mediterranean, is building up a more robust position. Uh, it reaches out to Saudi Arabia and others, although there are obvious tensions and big differences. Uh, Saudi Arabia wanted the attack to go ahead right away. I mean, are they mortal enemies, Syria and Saudi Arabia, or not? 
Well, it works on a couple bases. One is that they still see the Russians as atheists and communists, despite Putin's op-ed and talking about God created us all equally, but it's the God he doesn't believe in uh, who did that. And uh, uh, and they have had certain meetings and stuff, but, but I think that uh, some of it was contentious. They, they're not exactly on the same page. But you see that Russia has emerged even in regard to Egypt, where they said told the Egyptian generals they will make up uh, the arms they lose because the Russians are very much against the Muslim Brotherhood. A lot of the places think the United States is soft on the Muslim Brotherhood or cozies up to the Muslim Brotherhood, but it was in Egypt and, and other places. I don't think that that is the policy, but it certainly may be the perception or the outcome or the actual things on the ground, unintentional or intentional, uh, that that we have become identified uh, as supportive. Our support for the rebels doesn't help in that regard because, as I said, that the rebels are overwhelmingly extremists and bad guys. All right, so I, I understand the Russian position. It's stronger to perception in the world, I'm sure. Everyone thinks so. But what do you say to the armchair... Uh, you know, political quarterbacks who sit back in, you know, in this area and talk about how the U.S. is now a laughingstock to the world. Is that too harsh of a term? Would you say that it's a little bit more par than that? Well, I would say that the United States is standing in the regard in which we're held and will, will depend on the outcome of what, what is going on now to a large degree. It has been diminished, there's no doubt. I don't think after Libya, after some of the other situations, um, relationships, for instance, with Russia were, were greatly uh, deteriorated. So you think the president thinks he blew it a bit? I mean, do you think that he, he would, would he do it differently if he had it to do over again? Uh, that is a very good question. He may not have said the red line line. He may not have uh, moved so quickly to a congressional vote, not knowing what the outcome would be. Uh, I don't think that he could not react to the chemical weapons attack. I think people who, who say this don't don't get the implications and, and understand why this is a, a critical action. It was all along, but it, it is certainly now that, that that we send the message to every terrorist group, everybody, that it's open season. You can do what you want. The um, uh, look, Assad could come out of this much stronger and and. Uh, uh, I don't know, reinforce his position, or it could sustain the war for a long time, or it could lead to some effort to try and bring peace or negotiate a peace. I don't see the grounds in which that would would take place. And and remember, there are other implications. What about what's going on in the Sinai over the last week and two weeks of the escalation of violence, et cetera? And Has it led to a stronger Israeli military presence there? Along the, Syria, along the border? The uh, Gaza uh, yeah. Gaza-Sinai border, absolutely. The, and it's uh, what's more important, it's a huge increase in the Egyptian military presence. They have more than 2,000 soldiers now operating against the terrorists in the Rafah area primarily. Uh, Israel's defense has been doing a very good job, that defense that Israel built along the Egyptian border and the Sinai border. And, in fact, now the, the guys who used to smuggle weapons into Israel are going through Jordan to get them into the Palestinian refugee camps primarily. Uh, but there's an estimate now that under Morsi, the number of terrorists in Sinai have grew from about 1,500 to 2,000 to 7,000, according to, this is uh, Al-Hayat, Egyptian TV, talked about this and gave some specific uh, reasons why these numbers they think were valid. You've had soldiers killed every day. You've had the counterattacks, probably more than 100 terrorists 
uh, were killed uh, in this time. But what they're looking at is a situation where you've had this buildup of 15 groups, six of them al-Qaeda, many others, the influx of huge amounts of weapons in Egypt so that it's hurting them. So Egypt, number one, went after Gaza, closed a lot of the tunnels. The economy in Gaza, Hamas's economy, is in free fall. They, they've lost the money and support from Qatar, largely. Uh, Iran cut them off because of their position on Syria, so that they don't have the same income. In fact, they're importing commodities from Israel, and they are, are looking to other sources uh, uh, for funding. Egypt built a buffer zone, is building a buffer zone along its border with Gaza, and uh, this means that the people can't leave. They put restrictions on movement. Uh, then you have, and then Hamas guys have gone into into the Sinai. You have at least 600, 700 operating there. A lot of the people that Egypt has captured or killed were, in fact, Hamas operatives working with these terrorist uh, uh, organizations. You don't even know what faction to be part of if you want to keep your life, if you don't want to get killed. It, it, that's true. But the, And then there is a movement within Gaza. It's nascent. It's just initial stages, but I think could be serious, and I think that's where a lot of the international effort should be put into building up this group against Hamas, sort of like the group that went against uh, Morsi. Right. But the, the situation in Sinai, which I don't know, we've talked about for a year, trying to get people to focus on it, and yeah. nobody wants to pay attention. This is a cancerous situation. This is really uh, dangerous. Yesterday, Egypt moved against 55,000 unlicensed preachers. There are at least 2,000 Islamists that they've arrested. And instead of condemning them, we have to understand what the government, this current government, is has to do in order to restabilize the country to prevent a takeover again by the uh, the Islamists. Right. This is a, an important shift in the region, and they have the backing of the Saudis, they have the backing of even, I think, Qatar uh, has moved on this issue, and certainly the UAE and others, they're providing weapons and money uh, for uh, uh, to help stabilize uh, the situation there. All right, I got a couple of things here because the clock is moving and there's so many curiosities I have. The the rioting on Harabayat on Rosh Hashanah, which supposedly... Uh, from what I read, uh, led to rock throwing uh, um, on those who were davening at the uh, Kotel on Rosh Hashanah in Israel. Is uh, do you have a uh, an update on that whole situation? I saw some of the reports. Uh, Israel's work, worked to limit the access, and especially of Jews to Harabayit. And the um, you know it doesn't take much to set off rock throwing up there. They have huge piles of rocks and, and stones. Uh, I don't know why they don't force them to remove all of these uh, so that you don't have the potential for the kind of assaults that we saw. But were there injuries? Like, was it was it a severe? There wasn't. There were no serious injuries. And uh, speaking of places like Harabayat, I believe I read this, and I know that you can confirm it, certainly if it's true. Uh, it, was, was it a 7th century discovery this week uh, in Israel? I think this is another one of those cases, Nachum, which you know I go crazy about. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I can't understand how people aren't jumping out of their skins again and sit down with your kids and tell them about this amazing discovery. You want them to have you want them to understand, you want to see the truth of Tanakh, you want to see the ver- verification, the validation. This is such an amazing discovery. It's the first time that something like this was found. It was 30, 40 feet from the Kotel. It's at the new excavations that are going on by Professor Mazar 
at the uh, um, in, in Ir David, and people have seen some of the amazing things that she's found. But this is truly amazing. It was in one location. It was many, many pieces in go- of gold, and they believed that these were all ornaments for a safer Torah. This is 641 BCE. Wow! And these were the medallion that they found in very good condition. You have to ask why was it preserved all this time? It was hidden in the floor underneath the floorboards or equivalent of floorboards. And the the medallion shows a menorah, a seven-branched menorah, with a high pedestal again, proving the debate, um, a, a chauffeur, and a safer Torah. Uh. And this was, what is, it's, it's 2,600 years ago, 2,700 years ago. And you see the continuity, the validity, you see it there in the most concrete way possible. And they say that this medallion was used as an ornament for a safer Torah. It was like a breastplate on a, on a safer Torah. And you see many other things that, they, that she found. Now, this is one little postage stamp. The whole area, you know, is not a block in, in New York terms. And every day they're finding such amazing things. So it's not 7th century. It's 7th century B.C.E. B.C.E. <laughs> yeah. We're going a lot further back than that. Unbelievable. It is. And, and it's not. It's just one of many. So this one got attention because it's so remarkable. And it's so exciting to people. Um, on this Erev Yom Kippur, think about it. Think about what was going on tomorrow on the anniversary of uh, of all those Yemei HaKippurim from centuries ago uh, in that era. And here we are. I, I, I think, by the way, and I've said this to you before, and I think you agree, whoever does the marketing for the Archaeological Society of Israel, that their timing is impeccable. It seems that Erev Yom Kippur, Erev Hanukkah, they seem to be very, very uh, out there with the, with, the, with the brand new news about their discoveries. It's by shared. <laughs> I love it, and it's, I hate that's th- a coincidence. I mean, <laughs> believe me, they don't they don't plan it. Maybe they held it up to uh, verify. You know what? You're right. You're right. I shouldn't say that, but we, uh, but, but, we but we but we have joked about it in the past, especially I know around the Erev Hanukkah time. Um, and finally, and I'm sorry for bringing this up, but it, and and it's probably improper for me to bring it up, and it's probably even more improper for you to comment about it. But I'm going to take a chance anyway. I, I I had a little bit of satisfaction. Not that I was endorsing anybody, and certainly you don't endorse anybody we know, but I, I was somewhat satisfied that members of our community who became well-known for improper behavior, absurd behavior, and obscene behavior were defeated this week at the polls. I don't know if you want to say anything about that or not. I do want to ask you, I'm sure, hey, hey if we know him well, then you must know him extra well. Uh, we know the, the likely Democratic candidate for Mayor Bill de Blasio very well. Lots of stuff you could tell us about the uh, his relationship with the Jewish community. But do you know Joe Loda at all? I actually met him this week for the first time, and he has many Jewish backers and uh, has had an association. Even people think that his mother may have been Jewish. <laughs> Uh, but I, I don't. I can't verify it. I haven't verified it. I just heard it. Actually, um, uh, I worked with Bill De Blasio, who uh, uh, did uh, work on the issue of sanctions and the press conference, other things, sanctions against Iran. That's right. Um, Plus the Saudi Arabian airline case long, recently, and all that. Right. Had a long relationship uh, over the years for, with uh, the Jewish community and with involvement in certain issues. So it should be an interesting race. It'll be very interesting. I think that the choices will be very clear. That right. people have to get involved. I think. The fact that Chaim Deutsch won in uh, in Brooklyn was a very important statement because of the way the gerrymandering of districts right. divided up the, the Jewish communities, and uh, the fact that 
people across everybody thought that it's, uh, you know, because the Russian district, they all vote one way for a Russian uh, Jewish, American Jewish candidate. In fact, uh, uh, he won uh, in a very important race, and it shows again that when people turn out and people get involved, that there are uh, black candidates that, that Orthodox Jews lined up to vote for and Jewish communities generally lined up to vote for. There are uh, Jewish candidates and the black communities lined up to vote for. I think we see the breakdown of a lot of the it's not an elimination of it, and there, there were a lot of appeals to, to racial identity or religious identity or, or ethnic identity, which is just natural in politics. Right. But we also saw a lot of situations where this this uh, crossed. So, want to comment on my initial statement <laughs> about about the? Yes, I think that that it is an important statement, and right. you know the fact. Uh, that they were Jewish or not, I think, is an irrelevant. Right, but it's more sensitive to us, obviously. The question of the message we send. Right. Uh, I believe in forgiveness, and I think that people, you know, make mistakes, and if they overcome them and they pay the, they right. do what's necessary. Uh, you don't eliminate them, but I think there is a message in the fact that that uh, this would always be an over. That they will always have the late night comedians will have enough material. Right. And especially because they didn't really pay a price. I mean, in one case, maybe you say you could say it, but you know what I mean. It was not like uh, uh, no, nobody I mean, did. Nobody went to jail, right? Nobody did time for their actions. Nobody right. and, and I don't know that it, it rose to the right. Understood to do that, uh, right. but um, now we'll see. You know, right. we've got to look at the quality of the candidates who can really serve the city. Is going to face tough uh, issues. The state will, and America will, and. You know, I, I tell people all the time, don't take glee when you see political leaders you don't agree with being embarrassed or being hurt. When America is hurt, we are hurt 100%. like everybody else, and 100%. Israel is hurt. Right. Israel needs a strong America. Well, you know who I'm voting for for mayor, right? Whichever one shows up on October 15th to the conference of presidents' 50th anniversary <laughs> tribute gala. Simple as that. Good criteria. I didn't think of it, but I will. <laughs> I'll have to make sure they get invited so you can make a fair judgment. <laughs> That's right. Oh, you mean if both show up, I'm going to have to actually make a decision? <laughs> that actually, I haven't invited either, so <laughs> I don't know that it's a fair judgment. Malcolm, I wish you an easy fast, a gmarch simatova. Enjoy your JM and the AM break, and we'll have plenty to talk about in early October when we reconvene. As I always say, we only reconvene in between if, God forbid, there's an emergency. So in this case, I'll say, I hope it is a few weeks till we speak again. Well, I wish everybody an easy fast, a meaningful fast. Easy isn't always the best answer, but a meaningful one. Right. And uh, that uh, have a great yontif, and that we will have peace in this period, and that everybody can go to Yushalayim and celebrate uh, in, in peace and safety, and that we look forward to a, a better and a really meaning good eight, new year for everyone. 100%. A wonderful 5774. May we be inscribed in the Book of Life and Health and Sustenance. In a world of peace. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. A, a, uh, a uh, reminder to our audience that Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, our beloved Rabbi Yudin, and of course we take this opportunity to wish Rabbi Yudin, Rabbi Goldwasser, all of our rabbinic backbone here at JM in the AM, a Gemar uh, Sumatova, a good Gebench Dior, and a happy, healthy, and sweet 5774. I remind everybody that Rabbi Yudin has a brand new book, one that we are highly recommending, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin on the Parsha, subtitled, Tomorrow We Have the Privilege. And if you're a regular listener of this show, you know exactly why uh, he has that subtitle on his Mosaic Press brand new release. We're recommending it. Go to your stores, go to the web, order it, enjoy it. And we wish Rabbi Yudin a mazel tov on this wonderful 
accomplishment. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi, ben- Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Today, of course, Rabbi Yudin speaks about the upcoming holiday of Yom Kippur. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. And good Erev Yom Tov. What a special, incredible day today Erev Yom Kippur is. Before I begin the special program, I just wish to begin by acknowledging and wishing a very special Mazel Tov to our distinguished host, Nachum Siegel, on the incredible accomplishment of 30 years of enhancing the Jewish community through his leading JM in the AM and Nachum, the Mishnah in the fifth chapter of Avos tells us Ben Shloshim Lakoach, the number 30 is associated with strength. So first of all, Hashem should give you considerable strength that you shall continue your very special Avodas HaKodesh. And second of all, the term Koach is used by the Ramban and others that Avram is tested to go from the Koach to the Poal. And in that regard, the word Koach means potential. And Emir Hashem, you have such great potential and this potential with God's help should be actualized for many more years whereby the Jewish community will be forever proud of its very special heritage. Many, many more in good health. Today is a very special Erev Yom Tov. Proof on Erev Sukkot, we don't sit in the Sukkah. On um, Erev Pesach, we're not allowed to eat the Matzah. Today, Erev Yom HaKippurim, interestingly, for the Mincha this afternoon, we already say Vidui in our private Shemona Esrei at Mincha, and I urge that you find out what time Mincha is in your community, and there might be more than one Mincha, avail yourself, go to shul, take the Yom Kippur Machzor, and in the um, Mincha, we say the Vidui, the Vidui of Ashamnu, alphabetically arranged, and then the list of Al-Khait that we have committed during this past year. And the reason for our saying the Vidui before Yom Kippur is twofold. Number one, we want the Jew to go into Yom Kippur already in a state of purity. Lifnei Hashem Titoru, as the Pasuk reads in Parshas Acharimos, which means not only that we are privileged to purify ourselves before God on Yom Kippur, but Lifnei Hashem, before we approach Hashem on Yom Kippur, we should already be Titoru as pure as we can, and therefore, for that reason, men go to the mikvah today 
Erev Yom Kippur. And for that reason, we include the Vidui in our Shemona Esrei prior to. The Talmud gives a practical reason, lest the person um, become intoxicated in their meal and will not get to the Vidui, let him get to it this afternoon. Now, um, let us understand that today, Erev Yom Kippur, there is a mitzvah, many consider it to be, of a Torah obligation to eat today Erev Yom Kippur. Now, what's this all about? So Rashi in the Gemara Yuma tells us that like a loving mother, the Torah only asks us to fast one day a year, Yom Kippurim. And the mother is concerned, but make sure that you are healthy and capable to fast on this day, and therefore, make sure you eat today. However, there are other reasons given. Rabbeinu Yonah, in Ishari Tshuva, gives the very beautiful reason that our eating this afternoon is a demonstration of our optimism and our celebration of the mitzvah of Yom Kippur, of our becoming purified by Hashem on this day. We can't have this celebration on Yom Kippur, so we celebrate today, Erev Yom Kippur, the Yom Kippur experience, the purification of the day. And, in addition, the Gemara tells us at the end of Sanhedrin, excuse me, Tanis, that Lohoyo Yom Tovim Israel. One of the two happiest days of the year was Yom Kippurim. And the Talmud gives us two reasons. What was so special about this day? The first reason was, it's a day of Slicha and Mechila, a day of forgiveness. And the second reason is that this is the day that Moshe came down from Har Sinai, the third and last time. And not only did he bring forgiveness with him, but Moshe brought with him the second set of tablets, the second luchos, which endured. This is the Torah Shabal Peh that Moshe brought down as well on Yom HaKippurim. And therefore, whenever the Jew receives Torah, they celebrate with a festive meal. We have a festive meal on Shavuos, when we receive the Torah. We have a festive meal on Purim, which is Kimu Kiblu, And we have a festive meal on Erev Yom Kippur, celebrating the Torah that we received on Yom HaKippurim. It is customary to try to come to the base Akneses early, before Kol Nidre, so that you can say Tfila Zaka again before Kol Nidre, which is a further extension of this idea of Lifnei Hashem, before the day begins, Titaru, you should already do Tshuva, you should already repent and say vidui, articulate those wrongs that you are very much familiar with. Now, 
the women who light candles this afternoon it's the candles for both Shabbos and Yom Kippurim and we the minhag in many homes is to light a yard site licht for whom they are going to be reciting Yizkor on Yom Kippurim. Interestingly, the Torah refers to the day as Yom Kippurim in the plural. Why? Because not only are the living judged, but the deceased as well are judged on Yom Kippurim. Therefore, the yard site licht and regarding the lighting of candles this afternoon. If a woman wishes to light candles and then drive to the synagogue, she can do so. She makes a tenai, she makes a condition that before she lights the candles, she says, with my lighting of candles, I am not accepting Kedushash Shabbos and Yom Kippurim until I arrive at the synagogue. Fine. If she is doing that, she should not recite the bracha of Shechianu at the time of candle lighting. If she's going to walk to shul, she should say the bracha of Shechianu at the time of candle lighting. Very important we understand this. And the idea is if she is going to ride to Shul and she's going to not say the bracha when she lights the candles, don't feel bad. You'll say the bracha of Shechianu with the chazin at the conclusion of Kol Nidre prior to Mayriv. Yom Kippur, interestingly, there is no verse in the Torah that the Torah says, do not eat on Yom Kippur. The Torah does say the expression of inui, of afflicting yourself five times regarding Yom Kippur, which teaches the rabbis that there are five inuyim, five restrictions and prohibitions of the day. All agree that eating and drinking is a biblical obligation. And a healthy person is not to eat or drink anything. However, if somebody has to eat or drink in accordance with doctor's orders, please, if you haven't done so as yet, consult your local Rav, and he will guide you how you can and should eat within the halachic framework. The other four prohibitions, some say that these are rabbinic, include a washing, rechitza, which is rechitza shaltanog, washing for pleasure. One washes one's hands in the morning until the knuckles, what we call negel vasar in the morning, alternating right, left, right, left, right, left with a cup till the knuckles. With your hands a little moist, you rub them through the eyes to remove whatever might have accumulated during the course of the night. And that's it for washing. The next uh, prohibition is that of applying cosmetics and ointments to the body. Um, This uh, goes to perfumes, lotions, wearing of leather shoes is the fourth, and marital relations is the fifth. A quick, fascinating aside. The last four inuyim, washing, cosmetics, 
leather shoes and marital relations, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It applies also to the mourner, somebody who is Lo'elenu sitting Shiva. And on a rather fascinating philosophical point, Rav Salvechik Zechrona Levracha pointed out that to a certain extent, yes, we are mourning, we're sitting Shiva for part of ourselves that did not live up to its potential. Now, the idea of Yom Kippur, I think this must be said because too many people have the wrong notion of Yom Kippur. They think that it is a sad day, a day to be dreaded. When is it over? I can't eat. No, it is just the opposite. There is a fantastic verse in Tilim Psalms 139, Pasuk 16, where the Pasuk says, Yomim Yutsaru Velo Echad Bohem. Literally, many days will be fashioned, but to him they are as one. However, Rashi in his commentary on this Apostle says, no, Yomim Yitzaru, there are many days, but Velo Echad Bahem, there's one day which is different than all the others. And what is this one day which is different? So Rashi quotes two interpretations. The first opinion is that it is the Shabbos, and the second opinion is, Ze Yom HaKippurim L'Slicha. And this year we hit the jackpot. It's both. It's Shabbos and and Yom Kippurim, and we should realize how privileged we are. What is Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is a day of spiritual dry cleaning. What does that mean? Just picture your suit, and thank God your child or your grandchild, the baby, right? You know, so the baby did whatever it had to do on your suit, or you went to work and you helped somebody who had a flat tire, so your suit became good and dirty with grease and and all other kinds of stains and you bring it to the dry cleaner and 24, 25 hours later you pick it up and it's fresh and it's almost like new so HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in his kindness says to the Jewish people throughout the year unfortunately you sully you dirty your neshama you dirty your soul and what happens is a little bit of Lashon Hara a little bit of neglect of Shabbos a little bit of neglect of Kashras, a little bit of neglect of Taras HaMishpacha. Unfortunately, throughout the year, we have different kinds of ways that we can make our neshama, our soul, salit. Hashem says, you come to me on Yom Kippur. And better still, He comes to us on that Pasuk, Dushu Hashem Behimots O, Kira'u Beoso Karov. This is the time when God is closest to us. He avails Himself and comes to us. All we have to do is take advantage of this opportunity to say to Hashem, Yes, we want to restore that special relationship with you. That is Yom Kippur. And it's for this reason that it is such 
a special day. And indeed, think about it, the Kriyas HaTorah tomorrow is that of the Avoda coming from Parshas Acharimos. And what do we have in the Avoda? The Avoda says very clearly that the Kohen Gadol entered into the Holy of Holies once a year on Yom Kippur. Parenthetically, he went in four times. Now, Rav Salavechik again said, listen carefully, what are you doing on Yom Kippur? On Yom Kippur, you're going into your personal Kodesh HaKadoshim. You look at your soul on Yom Kippur. And it's for this reason that we diminish all the physical pleasures and we focus on the soul and we realize our incredible potential and we have this opportunity to get close with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. For this we're awarded and Baruch Shein Kavod Malchuso is said both tonight and tomorrow aloud as by the Malachim. It is such a special day. We should recognize that in the Musaf, our synagogues become transformed as close as it's possible to a miniature Beis HaMikdosh. And our Shaliach Tzibor Achazen is the representative of the Kohen Gadol in our midst. And literally we walk through the Avoda and we pray to Hashem that our reading about it and our studying about it should be looked upon, please God, by Hashem as if we actually, you know, fulfilled it. There is so much more to be said. I only pray that we realize what an incredible blessing and privilege this day is, and that we avail ourselves of this opportunity to repair both between man and man and therefore it's not your best friends that you should be calling today there are some people that really you probably should not call on the telephone but it's not too late to make that trip in person and say that's it bygones, bygones please forgive me I'm not even sure how I might have hurt you or if you know how you hurt the person say it, be big we want Hashem to forgive us on Yom Kippur it's not enough for you to say as you go into Yom Kippur I forgive, no you have to ask other people for forgiveness and that is so important that we take that message to heart and appreciate the bracha of the day of our having the opportunity to mend between man and man and between ourselves and our Kurdish Baruch I take this opportunity of wishing Nachum and all those who work with him so hard throughout the year to make JM the AM that very special program, them and their families, and indeed all our listeners, and indeed all of Klai Yisrael, a Gemar Chasimwa Tova, we should be privileged for a year of peace, peace in Eretz Yisrael, peace throughout the world, and the opportunity to rise and accomplish our incredible potential as Jews.
Shabbat Shalom and a good Yom Tov to all. Kantor Gershon Sirota here at JM in the AM. Please keep in mind Sarah Leah Basrus for a 
Saralea Basrus, and we thank you for that. Earlier this week, I saw Mr. Michael New at the Sephardic home in Brooklyn, New York, and he asked me, they are one of the great supporters of JM and the AM, and he asked me to convey wishes of a happy, healthy, and sweet new year to this amazing audience. So a big shout-out for the new year to the Sephardic home of Brooklyn. Mordechai Ben David with one of the great High Holiday Pieces. She's a good idea. 
All right, time to say good Shabbos, a good Yontav. Wish everybody an easy fast on this Erev Yom Kippur. Journeys is on. This is JM in the AM. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Go on home and find a gift that's waiting there for you. Oh, it's time to say good Shabbos. Because all your work is done. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmdam.org. Well, wishing everybody, the staff of this amazing radio program and station, of course, uh, all of our incredible listeners, a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. An easy fast to everybody. 
Enjoy Yom Kippur. We're back Monday morning starting at 9 a.m. Naomi Nachman and Jay Booksbaum team up for an amazing hour coming up on our stream at jmnam.org right now between 9 and 10 Eastern Time, so check that out. And uh, plenty of programming, including JM Sunday with uh, Matis at 7 a.m. Sunday morning right here at jmnam.org. Monday we'll start talking about some of the big Cholomoid events for next week and plenty more. Have a fabulous Friday, a great Erev Yom Kippur, and a uh, meaningful Yom Kippur Day. May we be inscribed in the Book of Life, Health, and Happiness. Until next time, Malcolm Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.